0: And this is episode 59. Our guest today is a legend in the industry. She made bareback and bridalist famous, especially in 2006 when she won the American Quarter Horse Congress Freestyle Reigning Competition. She essentially made bridaless riding a thing and it was amazing to watch in her YouTube video that has millions of views. I think I tear up every time I watch that video. It is so beautiful. If you have not yet watched her bareback and bridaless performance on YouTube, pause this right now, go watch the video and then finish this episode. If you have seen it, let's get to the episode. Here is your guest Stacy Westfall. Would love to talk to you about how you started, how you got to where you are today um, with horsemanship and all of the things that you do. So we'd love to kind of start from the beginning and we would love to hear about how you even got into riding in the first place.
1: Yeah. So, you know, just kind of classic little girl, loved horses. We didn't have any. My mom loved horses. And we didn't have any. So I would be around her friends that had some, you know, and she was kind of like really kind of in love with the idea of horses. So when I got my first pony at the age of six, it was actually a pony that was 16 years old. And my mom had ridden her when my mom was younger. And so it was like our first family horse. And yet it was a pony that my mom had had grown up riding. And so... You know, you kind of fast forward through and then a couple years later, my mom got her own horse. And then from that point on, so at that point, I'm probably eight all the way through even high school. My mom worked at a school, at the the elementary school. Even when I was in high school, I would come home and especially before I had my driver's license, you know, or any of that cuz then I got a job and did some stuff but
0: mm-hmm.
1: but especially before that my main goal was to get home before my mom and try to get horses brushed and saddled so that the minute she hit the property we could leave oh, on horseback so cool. and go ride. So probably my biggest childhood memory is just is just doing that like as soon as my mom got home from work, it was like, if the horses can be saddled then we could be, or we had bareback pads. So that was my version mm-hmm. of saddling. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so if they were, if they were ready to go, because, uh, I'm originally I'm from Maine, even though I'm sitting here talking to you from Ohio hmm. and especially depending on the time of year, you know, it would get dark. So it was kind of like a little race against, mm-hmm. you know, the sun. And I just remember being in high school, I was a junior in high school and a math teacher took like the extra 15 minutes at the end of class one day and started going around class saying, "If what are you going to do when you leave school? What are you going to do when you graduate? What are you going to do when you graduate? And I was at the opposite end of the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. So by the time he got to me, I was like, I don't know, go to school for accounting or something. And he said, yeah. why do you say that? And I said... Because I want to ride horses and you can't go to school for that. <laughs> and he made me, this was all pre-internet. So he said, go to the guidance counselor's office and go look through those college books until you find it. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and you know what? It did exist. <laughs> wow. And that's how I found the University of Finley, which brought me from Maine, Maine to Ohio, which introduced me to go from not even understanding that the industry was any bigger than what I could see on TV, which was the Olympics or the Kentucky Derby. That was like mm-hmm. my full knowledge of the horse industry. Right. And to take me out here to Ohio where I had instructors that were in all these different Hall of Fames and I could see all these horse shows and just all the activity. Then while I was here meeting my husband, getting married, staying here in Ohio, and, and creating everything that we have. So yeah, lots of stepping stones, lots and lots. Those were like the big ones.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Totally. I remember reading something about um, how your first pony you got, you paid a penny for. Yes. Tell yes. me about that story.
1: So that is the pony that my mom grew up on. Oh. And so her name was Misty, or if we were making her be fancy, she wasn't registered, but we'd call her Midnight Mist. Oh. She was black with like little tiny flecks. Like she, she never did roan out or anything, but huh. she just had the little white like sprinkled through her coat. And it was, yeah. My mom had grown up next door to the people who raised her. Well, those people never wanted to sell her. They always wanted to maintain control. Mm-hmm. So essentially to a grown up mind nowadays, what they were doing is they were leasing her yeah. for like a penny right. and you'd get the pony and all the tack and mm-hmm. everything you needed. But when you couldn't use her anymore or didn't want to take care of her anymore, you gave her back. Right. But when my brother and I got her, we both wanted to pay. So we doubled up and paid twice as much as what was being charged. And we paid two pennies. Gotcha. One, one each so we could both pay for the pony. And then nice. that lasted for a few years until my brother discovered motorcycles and ah. the idea that you didn't have to clean a stall and mm-hmm. you didn't have to feed it when you weren't using it. Yeah. I bought him out.
0: Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so cool. And then how long were you able to ride Misty for?
1: Until my feet were dragging. It Ah. was kind of
0: a joke because,
1: you know, I actually have it on my website so I could jump over there and try to see the year, but I was getting quite tall and my feet were dragging and talking to my mom now, she's like, well, we knew we were going to need to get you a horse at some point Mm -hmm. because you clearly were getting very tall and you weren't outgrowing this. And it came up somehow. And basically I struck a deal with my parents that if I got straight A's and I was kind of like an an AB student, Mm unless it was math. And then I was like, you know, C minus maybe like, it just wasn't good. They're like, if you get straight A's, we'll get you a horse. And from my perspective, it was like, I would do anything. And so but I had them write this little contract and you can kind of see uh-huh. that on, on the website page oh, cool. and had them sign it because I was like, is this really true? And then I did everything I could in my power to get straight A's. And it's actually a more fun story from the adult version when I talked <laughs> to them later because they were all like, you know, my mom worked at the school in uh-huh. the lower. She was down in like the elementary, the, the down in like helping kids in the first and second grade but I was probably, I must've been in like the sixth grade, mm-hmm. sixth grade or so. And, you know, she was, it's funny because she was like, are you kidding me? Like all of the teachers at the break room were like, she's killing herself to do this. There's no way we can't give her an A. We all know it's riding on it too. So <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm not even sure a hundred percent. All funny. I know, all I know is at the end of the day, I got straight A's and I got a horse.
0: Oh, that is amazing. I
1: love it.
0: (laughs) Your parents are probably like, oh shoot. (laughs) Gosh. So you were keeping your horses at home and you then got your first horse, uh, Bay, right? Yep. Okay. So then how did you, how did you find Bay?
1: You know, there is still, and it's just with, especially with all the changes that have happened in the industry over the years, the, tax store that I bought her from is still in existence up in Maine and it's called Hemp Hills and it's in Vassalboro, Maine. And even back then, and I have now been around the country extensively and around the world and never seen another store like this, Hmm. which is so cool because basically in Maine, the state motto is vacation land. Mm-hmm. And so there were a lot of vacation homes and a lot of vacation things. And one vacation thing that people would do, would they would be come up and their kids would take a lot of riding lessons. So there were a lot of these riding camps that would spring up, but only during the summer. Cool. So this store, which is kind of a traditional tax store, like you would see that they sell... Everything you need for the horse, like tack wise. And then they had the feed store out the back door so you could back up and load up with your grain and stuff. But what was really unusual is that right behind that was a full blown like livestock barn for horses. Mm -hmm. And you could walk in and you had tie stalls down the left hand side. And like probably eight box stalls down the right-hand side for the fancy horses. Mm-hmm. And they were all school, They were the, the majority of the things were coming out West, which to me back then was Ohio. <laughs> uh-huh. Way <laughs> like out West. From Maine, you were going way <laughs> out West to like Indiana uh-huh. or Ohio or somewhere. Uh-huh. And they were bringing horses back. They would keep around a hundred or more horses that were kind of on rotating loan. So they would lease them out to these pop-up I shouldn't say pop up, but you know, in in Maine, you're shutting down for the winter. Right. So in the winter, they would have all these horses back and they would take care of them. And then in the summer, the horses would all go out to camps and be camp horses. And so they had this massive group of horses, but due to the nature of doing something like that, you know, they had horses that weren't going to work out for the camps because, you know, they weren't going to be great lesson horses. So they did a lot of buying and selling. It was like a candy shop full of horses. So you could just walk out back and be like, anything, anything you wanted. You wanted to see something with drafty, something with spots, something that was painted, something that was gated, something that was traditional quarter. everything. And so every time we would go there, it would just be like, we have to walk through the barn and dream about all these horses. Mm -hmm. That's where my horse came from.
0: Wow. That's amazing. Let's fast forward a little bit. And how did you meet Jesse?
1: So fun story. I was out. And I was going to the University of Finley here in Ohio, and the Quarter Horse Congress happens here in Ohio every year. Mm. And it, like, to me coming from Maine, I didn't realize it was like this month long horse show. But by the time I came out and I started going to school, they're like, oh, you have this opportunity, and you can get assigned to go be a working student essentially at the Congress. And so I signed up for that. And so the first year I went down and worked for like a week and then then you're allowed to work for like two weeks after that. And so I went down and worked for two weeks. Well, I met Jesse. He was an assistant trainer for the trainer that I went to be a working student for during oh, okay. the Quarters Congress. And what was really interesting was that, you know, growing up, one of my jobs, the pretty much the job that I had most of the time was like these these people became my second family, but they ran and maintained a resort for like a vacation home for a mega company called Maersk Shipping, okay. which is like a worldwide company. And I showed people how to ride the horses and just super basic. Well, it was funny because Gary and Marsha, they were like second family. Well, they came out to visit the Congress and I'm standing there. I'm clipping a horse while Jesse holds it. And I knew they were coming but they walked in and they found us. I'm like, Hey, hi, Marsha. Hi, Gary. You know, they said I can go sit in the stands and talk to you What right after I finish this horse. They see me clipping and Jesse holding, and we're just talking for a few minutes. And then they go to where we're going to meet. I walk over to meet them. And this woman that I've known for my whole life, I walk over, I sit down, she goes, you're going to marry him. And I'm like, what? what? <laughs> we weren't even dating. I'm not no. even kidding. We weren't even dating. She's like, you're going to marry him. And she's not She had never given one piece of a relationship advice or ever even spoken about anything. And I was just like,
0: (laughs) (laughs) what are you talking about? I got goosebumps.
1: It was was one of the, yeah, it was one of those moments that you're just like, whoa.
0: And uh, she was right. (laughs) Wow. At what point did you guys get married? How long did you date for? What did that look like?
1: Oh, now you're moving to Jesse's realm. He's way (laughs) better with all the dates and stuff. But... We started dating, and probably about a year, not quite okay. a year and then and then we got engaged, and then we got married fairly quickly after that i was still I was a senior in college, okay. but we got engaged then then turned around and got married like right after I graduated, so okay. it was like graduation in Ohio and turn around and everybody drive to Maine and get married mm-hmm. <laughs> so
0: it that's was very- exactly what we did too. I was engaged my senior year. And then we got married like three weeks after graduation. Yeah. Pretty much the same timeline. Yeah. 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 Um, We (laughs) went to college in Ohio and we drove back to Delaware where my husband's from to get married. So pretty similar. Pretty similar. (laughs) Very similar. So that that was a whirlwind. Yeah, for sure. I totally get that. So you guys are married. You're a young couple what does this look like for you guys as far as work? Were you still working in the horse world? What what did that all look like?
1: You know, kind of interesting and 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 one thing that I've I've talked about some, but I one thing that I think is kind of interesting is that so we got married right straight out of like me coming out of college. Mm-hmm. He was already training. I was really clear that I want I obviously I've I've just graduated from a four-year college with right. horses and I really want to be in the industry but I had worked for some different people at, you know throughout my my college year you'd go away during the summer and go work and one thing I noticed was that there were some women that were really said they wanted children and said that they really wanted to plan that, but they were already kind of deep into the industry. Mm. And they would have, they would make comments like, well, you know, next year when it slows down a little bit or next year (laughs) when this, then I'll, then, then, then maybe I can hire somebody to keep running this and then Mm. I can have the kids. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying whether or not having kids is whatever. But if you want to have it, like, it I'm not saying you, you, you got to stop and have the kids. But for, right. me, for me, the way this story went was, I was clear upon meeting Jesse and wanting to get married and planning to get married. I knew I wanted to have kids. My mom had had us fairly young. And I liked having my mom that felt like like we got confused for sisters all the time and i enjoyed a lot of like that riding the horses together yeah and i knew myself well enough to know that once i start chasing something i have a hard time pulling away from it if i get really focused and i could see the road of the horses and what I could potentially do was going to have a huge draw because it already had. And I could see the warning signs for my own temperament in saying that I want to have kids, but I'm not sure that once I go down this, I'm going to ever stop. So really interesting that right off the bat, I was like, you know what? A little bit burned out on trying to figure out all of Mm -hmm. the horse world and all this. I got a job at a bank. He moved you know, from where he had been working and, you know, we graduated from college and then it was just like, where are we going to land? Right. And we moved in and he got a job at a heating and air conditioning place. I got a job at a bank and it looked like we didn't have horses, but it was a little bit for me like an exhale, like a, I have a tendency to look at my life like chapters in a book. Yeah. And it felt like we'd just finished, you know, when you have a book that's divided into like sections, it was like a closing of one of those huge sections. Not just a chapter. (laughs) Not just a chapter. This was like, holy cow, like I'm done with school. What the heck Mm -hmm. does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I just got married. What the heck does that mean? Right. And it was like turning one of those major dividing things. And so it was a pause. And it was also really clear to me that I wanted to have the kids now. Mm -hmm. And so very quickly... I was, it became kind of a running joke. I remember Jesse bought a horse and Jesse was showing and, and I was like pregnant and pushing this and then pregnant again and pushing the stroller and then pregnant again. And, and and I was doing things that I could do while I was pregnant. So I was giving 4-H riding lessons and I was doing different things like that. And I was fine and happy with it because I'd chosen it. But I just remember going to pick up a horse that Jesse had bought, but he was still working the second job. So I jump in the car and I drive over and there's, you know, um, all the car seats in the back. And I think I was early pregnant. So it was like, I wasn't showing that I was pregnant again. So, and they're like, honey, do you need help loading the horse in the trailer? And I'm like, I think I can manage it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cause there was just that little bit of like, they like at that point, nobody even knew you know, that I had anything gone to college or that I knew anything about even leading a horse, let alone, you know, maybe loading a young one on a trailer. So Mm -hmm. it's actually, I don't, I love that I have that in my mind. I love that I have that experience. I love that I knew I was capable and that I also knew that I was choosing this other path for this short window of my time you know, short window of my life that I'm stopping and honoring my body as it like mm-hmm. grows children, right. <laughs> like, yeah. which is exhausting and huge. Yeah. And so it was just an interesting phase. So.
0: Totally. And during this time of having kids and, and, and kind of working through that role, how much riding were you doing? You know, were you completely go- kind of off or taking a little break?
1: No, it went back and forth, depending on which pregnancy it was. Like, yeah. so for my first pregnancy, uh, we didn't have a lot of the horses around because we, during my first pregnancy was when Jesse and I took in the first official training horse. So, I mean, when we got our quote unquote real jobs and and weren't doing the horses, that lasted for like, a few months and <laughs> like, then this is miserable. <laughs> well, and somebody called and they were like, "Hey, we've got a horse, could you ride it? Yeah, through a sale." And uh-huh. so Jesse's like, "Yeah." And then so then that meant that we had to figure out a barn to board at and then mm-hmm. it never stopped after that. So I think within, well, I know my first son was born and I have a photo of him. So he was born in June and I already already been training a young horse for them for a yearling lunge line class. So Jesse's holding our son who is like two or three months old and I'm winning a yearling lunge line. Yearling lunge line had just started. The NSBA kind of stuff was just starting and I was winning a yearling lunge line class. So, you know, I could do groundwork and do different things in a safe kind of a way. So I never really stopped, but it definitely, you know, it definitely changed how I trained because I rode longer, then I would have had I been able to have the experience that you don't have until you have more experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you followed that, congratulations. Yeah. But basically because I could start to feel like when I would ride, especially at um, a trot or a lope, I could actually feel those stomach muscles that if you read about it when you're pregnant, they can actually split Mm-hmm. you're in the front of your stomach. And I right. could feel this odd pulling sensation. And that was one thing I have been is fairly protective of my body over the years. I'm one of those like, yeah, the whole push through the pain thing with my body. I'm thinking maybe <laughs> it's telling me I should stop. So uh, more recently when I started running 5Ks, that was a whole different story because oh, I was like, man. what? But basically when I felt that pulling and I'd read about that happening, I was like, I think I need to stop now because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with all the other things. Yeah.
0: Oh, man. <clears throat> Oh, the fun things to look forward to, <laughs>
1: you know, and it was all good. Like I had no, I have all happy pregnancy stories. So that's
0: the good news. Oh, that's good. That is, that is really good. Wow. So you were, you were kind of working through this transition. You had been working at a bank, you had become a mom, you started getting in these clients at the barn. How was that transition from quote unquote real job back to your roots like both you and Jesse with riding and training?
1: I was a big follower of Dave Ramsey at one Mm -hmm. point through like his whole thing. And I love how he says, you know, if you're going to change careers, it's good to pull the boat up to the dock before you take the leap. Uh, Yeah. And so financially and everything else wise, it, it works out really well. So because I was listening to him and his stuff at that time, it was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So we were, we had the income of both of our jobs. And then when I had my first son, I never went back to a traditional after that. So Mm -hmm. he was born, well, we'd already had, at that point we had, I don't remember, but say like two or three horses in training. And it was like, hey, I have a little more time. We'll pull in another horse. And what ended up happening was, and I think Jesse talked about it on the podcast where he interviewed him. Uh We ended up working, he'd get up in the morning, leave for his traditional job. And I would meet him at the barn and we would work until midnight and then he would do it again the next morning. And so what that was though, that was us pulling the boat up alongside and it was like, okay, we have three horses. Okay. We have four horses. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have five horses. Okay. We have six horses. Okay. We have seven horses. Okay. This is unmanageable. Holy cow. What the heck are you going to do? Like this is a lot. And so when it became that breaking point, we actually kind of sat at that breaking point for a little while. And then we made the leap to buying a property where we could essentially move over and be doing this instead of at a boarding barn, doing it at our own barn. Mm-hmm. and did we have nine seven stalls? we had seven stalls in that barn and we when we filled those stalls then we did some like temporary you know like here's how we can keep a few more horses mm-hmm. here and then when that carried it then it, and then when we had a we just a waiting list it was like it became apparent we could immediately fill 10 more stalls if we had them hmm. so we built them and we took the leap but realistically wow. if you look the boat had been sitting beside the dock and we've been building addition after addition after addition. So
0: yeah. Wow. For someone who has their own training program, what would be some advice that you'd have as far as like the number of horses and the number of clients? Obviously it's a case by case situation, but you definitely experienced low number crazy high number and then my guess is you know you you're kind of always working your way to that happy medium so what have you found are some some tips for kind of finding your your sweet spot
1: you know it, you're very accurate in your observation and the reason it it's hard to find a sweet spot is because if you look at my progression over any 5 year period I keep changing and growing and my Mm -hmm. business keeps modifying. So I went from I'm doing 4-H lessons and I'm not really riding much to I'm riding a lot and I'm riding you know, this particular direction. So here's what happens is that if you have a program that is built on a lot of young horses or the phase, I'm just going to put two-year-old to four-year-old years just so we have something in our minds you've got younger horses, they take an immense amount of calories. They they literally eat you out of house and home when you're feeding them. Mm-hmm. And they also take a lot of time because you're in that stage where that's completely different than if you're maintaining. you know, If you're maintaining a 10 or 12-year-old horse for a non-pro who wants to show, that horse physically mentally doesn't need nearly as much time because they're experienced you're it's not like you're building a car from the ground up and you're like instilling like it, literally installing all the programming right and so so there's such a difference there that if you've got this young horse that's in that stage they easily take you know two or 3x the amount mm-hmm. of time that that older horse does so if you've got a program built around maintaining older horses and coaching people at shows, well, those people are going to be coming and ri- coaching people in any way. Sure. Those other people are coming and riding. So it doesn't take as much physical time from you. So that's why it morphs. So every time you shift, but what you don't realize when you say yes to taking a horse in at the time, what you don't realize is that greener, younger horses that are or problem horses or whatever the labels are that you have on them, those ones take up way more time. Yeah. than that older maintenance horse. And so you've got to decide what your program is or the balance that's going to be struck. You know, I'm going to have half my horses are going to be older maintenance horses and half my horses are going to be younger. Any any different mix is going to change your requirements. Yeah, that's a really good point.
0: Okay, taking a quick break to talk about our sponsor, Thrive Animal Health. We all know nutrition plays a critical role in the overall health and performance of not just ourselves, but our horses. But trying to choose the right products for our horses can feel overwhelming and too often like a waste of time and money. Luckily, there's Equithrive. Equithrive's line of nutritional supplements are developed with care and backed by science. From joint and hoof support to gut and metabolic health and even electrolyte pellets, which really come in handy this time of year. Equithrive has you covered. Equithrive products are pelleted for easy feeding. They're free of added sugar and dyes. They are show safe, made in Kentucky, and they come with a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. So head over to Equithrive.com and use code PODCAST for fifteen percent off your order plus free shipping. So to recap, that's fifteen percent off free shipping, satisfaction guaranteed, what are you waiting for? Visit EquiThrive.com today. That's dot ecom Thank you so much, EquiThrive. All right, let's get back to the episode. So let's, we'll fast forward a little bit. I would love to hear about the um, American Quarter Horse Congress, the, the freestyle reigning competition, because I feel like that is such a cool highlight. And that is something that you are, very known for would love to kind of hear what your thoughts were kind of leading up to that event and then the event itself and and kind of the aftermath I like that you use aftermath because that is what it was, <laughs> so you know that one's
1: it's kind of tricky to tease it apart, so i'll try to the best I can mm-hmm. the ride that you're referring to the live like you were dying bareback mm-hmm. and bridalist was in two thousand and six and the first time I had done Bridalist was in two thousand three. Okay, and so I'd done Bridalist with a mare named Can Lena in two thousand
0: three. Was and that a thing in two thousand three,
1: or is this something? No, you it was, totally. That was that was me giving it a shot. And yeah. what most people don't realize, because it's not really out there, is that on the internet anyway, is that the first one I did in two thousand three was a total flop. I mean, the crowd loved it, but I was such a nervous wreck yeah. that I left out. Uh, maneuvers and didn't, so I didn't do the lead changes to get judged on. And mm. so I got a score of zero, which is kind of like being disqualified, but yeah. not, you basically, you're like, you're the lowest in the class without being disqualified. Yeah. Not exactly ideal. <laughs> but there was a lot of mental, you know, stress and things that were going on there trying to do that new. But I did win, and you can see the winning ride in December. So Congress is in October. In December, I did that same ride again. At the NRHA, reigning for charity, hmm. and that was when the bridalist thing really hit the scene. And I've got the, these really crazy, cool articles hanging in my barn, you know, about like what, what had that, what, what, what just happened? Yeah. And it's a really cool. My favorite part of that video is the very end. If you watch it on YouTube, it's the very end when the I could just thank the videographer so much because they're zoomed in on me and I'm backing up but if you watch the crowd like watch that ride and don't watch me watch the uh-huh. crowd because when I go in nobody realizes I'm bridalist and you can see them like not really paying that much attention yeah. at first and the longer the ride goes you see people like poking each other and pointing and you uh-huh. see it. and then at the very end you see them all like standing up it looks like this movie scene like, wow. you, like you know I mean? but anyway so I had done that in 2003 and aside from like, how the heck did you do that and where'd that come from? People were, started like in the next years, they were like, what are you going to do to top that? Hmm. How would you do that? And that wasn't the first thing in my mind, but because they asked it so many times, I was like, well, the kind of obvious one would be to do it without the saddle too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it was also like, yeah, I grew up riding bareback and I also understand how many cues I have in my body and mm-hmm. uh this does not sound easy yeah so you can find little clips of me playing with it earlier on in like even with the can can mare hayley there's little clips it was honestly a personal challenge so it was a shock to me when that video was done in 2006 and obviously I had no idea my dad was going to pass away Mm. and that I have never before or since dedicated any ride to anything or anyone. And it just felt right to do. Mm -hmm. And the reason the announcer has the breakdown that he does of his voice is because in the practice that morning, they tell you to give them all the fear write-ups and everything. And I gave nothing. Mm. And at, I knew I was draw three and I had it written and it was pretty simple. I thought it was pretty easy to read, or, you know, that. I, and so I literally, the class started, I had Jesse hold my horse. I walked up, handed it to them, walked back down, got on. And so the announcer, wow. he was already too full of everything. He was already rolling. Literally the show was rolling
0: Yeah,
1: and I'm draw three. So I know, I have no doubt that he opened it probably a little bit like I can't believe she's dropping this on me and then he reads that <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> which is which is why the poor man did that and um yeah.
0: do you remember the feeling you had during that i mean was it all kind of a blur what what was that like oh it was
1: so peaceful because
0: what horses have given me over the
1: years that i didn't know but i can tell you i felt early on and i'll bet a lot of people listening have felt is that that moment of peace that you can find when you've had a bad day and you go to the barn and it doesn't matter whether you find it brushing your horse mm-hmm. or listening to the chew hay or riding down a trail, but odds are it's really quiet. And all you hear is the living, breathing, and the being there and fully present and fully at peace. And I never would have had the words when I was 11 years old and running to my pony Mm -hmm. or 18 years old and running to my horse. But ironically, inside of showing, which was something I really resisted, which is a whole nother podcast. But I, I, ironically, through the pressures and the different things, I finally figured out how to be able to call that in the zone moment. And that was so in the zone there. It's why when you watch me at the gate, he's reading that really emotionally and I'm just running my fingers through her mane and I'm talking to people because I don't want to hear him because Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave the zone. I know what he's going to say. I already know what the, I already know. And the music hits and the musical cue was my cue. In my mind, I was like, this is me. This is Roxy and this is God. And that's all there is. And Mm -hmm. we're going to go do this. Yeah. Pure peace.
0: So cool! Yeah, the video is absolutely amazing. It's it's such a cool video, and it went viral. That's the one that went viral, right? Very viral. <laughs> <laughs> and then you found yourself a couple years later on the Ellen Show. How did that? How did that all come to be? Yeah, so I, I had a lady that was working for me at the time,
1: and I walked into the office, and she said, "Okay, George Strait called, and then Ellen DeGeneres called." <laughs> And I was like, what? wait, what? <laughs> which, which on our end, what happened is I would built a new website mm-hmm. in 2008 and I was like, Hey, we should put this video on the website. Sure. And, the, and the web guy was like, that's a good idea. So he embedded it into my website. Embedding is not the same as like posting it on YouTube and then imbe- embedding the YouTube link, but YouTube was still early then. And so he thought it was a good idea to host it like on like a self-hosting thing because you have more control. And so he did. Well, the day it went viral, it crashed everything. Like I turned on the website, got on a plane, flew to California to do equine affair out there. Mm -hmm. And the lady that was working for me is like, your website's down. And I'm like, what the heck? Like I just paid more (laughs) for a website than I've ever paid in my life. And I call him and he's like, let me look. And he goes, you had 250,000 people visit. And I'm like, and, and he's like, do you know what that means? I'm like, it sounds like a lot, but no. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, okay. And it was so funny. Cause he's like, it, whatever the first number was, he's like, you had 50,000, you had a hundred, you had 250, you had the, and the numbers were insane. The number of hits, but he was wow. like, your website can't hold it. And, and we have to take the video off. And I go, I don't know a lot about this, but if they're coming for the video, doesn't taking it off seem like Counterintuitive. Yeah, this seems yeah. like a bad plan. He goes, "Well, you have two choices: a, a, a failed website or a website that doesn't have that on anymore." And I was like, "Okay, well, I guess you go with that." But yeah, and I was like, "Fix it." That's kind of how the video splintered into thousands of email things going around. There was no home for it. Mm-hmm. And then even when we did put it on YouTube, it kept splintering because the music rights would trigger it to be pulled off every time it rolled to a million. It would roll to a million and get pulled off, roll to a million, get pulled off. We did that for like a year. And then finally, the music companies who fully do own the rights, finally the music companies would start to be like, okay, it can play, but we get to make all the money off (laughs) of it. And we're like, I'm fine with that. Just let it play. So, But that's how Ellen and George Strait both ended up calling on the same day. And they literally called on the same day and they literally wanted me for the same weekend same time frame so I had to pick between George and Ellen wow there's still people that don't forgive me but I chose Ellen and (laughs) <laughs>
0: um, <so. laughs> what was it like being on the show and putting her through the ropes of of what you did and what you were doing
1: it was a lot like going back to the 2003 ride when I was like I'm going to be sick I'm going to be sick <laughs> I'm going to be sick I'm going to be sick but I was a little bit more experienced but the whole day I was just like breathe try yeah. not to vomit and my worst fear going into it was that I was they were going to call me on stage and I was the and I was going to come like you know how they kind of have you like it's not like you walk slowly. You kind of like jog happily yeah. out yeah. on stage, and I'm yeah. like, if I fall down the two steps, I have to take, this is probably how my debut is going to end. I'm mm-hmm. gonna be like, flop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I cannot imagine.
1: That is yeah. wild. Thankfully, we had recorded in the barn the day before, so I think yeah. that it helped because the barn is my my zone totally and so we had recorded in the barn there are no second takes on Ellen there are no redos there are no let's do that again there is no nothing and I had I had said every time I wasn't I'd never met her until I met her for real on the camera the way you see they don't they want it all to be very real so she has an amazing team That is like, aren't you excited? Aren't you excited? I'm like, I'm going to throw up. They're like, aren't you excited? I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh, I don't know if I could be pumped anymore. You might (laughs) want to And so I was really excited, but I kept telling the team, I kept saying, it would be so cool if she would ride. And they're like, well, we have no idea. We can't tell you what she's going to do, but we can let her know. And I'd be like, it'd be so cool if she's going to ride. And so to get ready... I actually, because I knew if I got her on, the one thing I would love to have her do is spin.
0: Because, Mm -hmm. you know,
1: Roxy really knows how to do that. But my concern was, how. what is the worst case scenario? And the worst case scenario is she she can't stop spinning. Right. (laughs) Because that can happen with a reigning horse if you don't have the right cues. So I actually took the time from the time they called until the time we went I would have other people get on, like the girls that were working for me at the time. Uh-huh. And, and I was a joke. I like, anybody who stopped by, like, get on, ask Roxy, Roxy to spin. So lay the neck rein on, cluck, mm-hmm. and she starts spinning. And I'm like, I'm, you're going to be spinning. I'm going to say, whoa, from over here. And if she doesn't stop you, stop her. Yeah. And so essentially, I taught an emergency break to Roxy in that wow. little window of time to the point where anybody could be spinning her. And I could say, whoa, which she already knew me, but she would question it because the rider is supposed to have control, but then the rider would reinforce it. So it got to the point where I'm like, and so it's so funny because if you watch the video of Ellen riding her, the first time she spins so hesitantly that that Roxy doesn't really lock in. So she's fine. The second time when Ellen's like, I want to do that again, Roxy's (laughs) like, okay, game on. And they start gaining speed, gaining speed, gaining speed. And I say, say, whoa. And if you listen, you can actually hear me say it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's like a double woe. (laughs) What did Ellen think of being on and riding? Did you think that was like the coolest thing ever?
1: Yeah, she did. And you pretty much can just see it straight up when you watch it. Like she did. She was just very super genuine. And I think probably the moment that stands out the most to me that you don't see of the whole thing was that... We're sitting on, because I think I ended up on three segments back to back on the TV show. So that's a lot of segments. My husband's like, that is a lot. My husband's like, that is a lot of segments. He starts comparing all these different things. Yeah. For me, like, so I'm sitting in the studio and she's talking to me and then you go to commercial. Mm. And then we're sitting in the studio talking and then you go to commercial. And so every time they go to commercial, people really do run out and like double check like because I, they I have really cool behind the scene photos. But I scratched my face at one point and I looked down. And I'm like, whoa, it looks like mud under my nails. Do I have like lines down my face? Because <laughs> <laughs> they really do paint you like with a whole bunch of makeup yeah. for the lights. But the thing I appreciated the most was she turned to me during one of the commercial breaks and just so genuinely was like, you need to be prepared when this airs because you're going to have opportunities and you need to be prepared. But there was just such a genuineness to her the whole time that we were there. It was so genuine. But that was so personal and Mm -hmm. above needed and genuine. It was just like this is off camera, behind the scenes. She, yeah. act, she just really wants to give me this advice. And so wow.
0: such a cool experience. That's so special. So what did happen after?
1: Yeah, so everything that was already happened was just on steroids, another level. And you know, thankfully my web guy was getting (laughs) things more under control. He he was just, he's just. I think the the best part of the web by the web guy was my total ignorance (laughs) to the fact that like was was the fact that he's like having to explain to me that I went from like having a website to being a national brand in like three days because he's like these numbers are what can make you a national brand, and I'm like. Okay, can you explain that to me? Thankfully, brand. (laughs) Like, what does that mean? Like, you know, and and I'm not afraid to ask questions, but I am aware when I'm asking them that people are sometimes like, I cannot believe she's in this situation. Mm -hmm. She has no idea what she's doing.
0: So, you were continuing to work at the farm with Jesse. Were clients like rolling in at that point? Were people coming from all over? Were you getting super full and super busy?
1: Yeah. So the really cool thing about that is that, thankfully, because the 2003 ride had happened, Mm -hmm. when the 2003 ride had happened, and I have always studied self-development and business. I mean, I love business. I am a business geek. Like totally like you know listen to business books audio books that would put people to sleep you know like the rest of my family is like what are we doing and i'm like oh my gosh this is amazing awesome. this is amazing <laughs> and so when the 2003 ride happened we were full swing trainers mm-hmm. and then i knew that i kept getting this question how did you do that how did you do that how did you do that and right. i felt incapable of answering the question because if you have me on and you go, how did you do that? I'm like, no matter how desperately I want to tell you over the phone, it's very challenging. Sure, yeah. So I had this urge, desperate need to be able to answer the question because I honestly wanted to, but I could also see, I'm like, okay, let's make a video. So that's when I first met up with Walton Berries, who had videotaped me making the ride to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Hey guys, can we make a video? doing like, what did I do? And she said that year I sold more freestyle videos than I did any other video wow. at the reigning for charity because your ride was so wow. But she said, everybody kept saying, how does she do that? And I said, I want to make a video, but I don't know what to title it. She goes, title it. How did she, does do, she that? do that? <laughs> because, and so literally Barb Waltonberry named my first video. And I just went out there and I, I was just like, if somebody asked me that question, And I was going to answer it, Mm -hmm. boom. And that is the video that's still online that's bridalist riding. How did she do that? Mm -hmm. Because it was just heartfelt, like, this is how I did it. These are the cues. This is what it did. This is what went down. But I was aware also that, you know, that this could also be changing my business. And I grew up in a family of teachers. My mom, I already told you, worked at the school. My aunt was the was a teacher at the school. My uncle was the principal, vice principal, English teacher at the at my high school. So I grew up in a family of teachers, and I loved teaching. Like I used to when I pretended in, when I was growing up as a little girl, I would give pretend riding lessons. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I just totally. loved teaching, and it had, and of course horses. So in 2004, I started to do. Some demonstration like night show things like Fantasia, Equine Affair. So by 2005, I was doing some teaching stuff. We had still feet in both worlds. We still had oh, yeah. all the horses at the barn, but I was already sticking my toe into the teaching side of it, more tradi- like more clinician, what you might label mm-hmm. clinician side of it. Got it. So as it hit, we were already full. We'd already been maintaining a waiting list for horses for years. And so that was still a thing. And that's when I had girls that were working for me as apprentices and they, and we were really clear that the owners would send horses and it'd be like, I'm not training them. This young lady is, and I'm overseeing it and I'm talking to you and you can come and you can visit. But the side that I grew and and focused on was the teaching side of it.
0: Cool. So I know that the one video, isn't that the highest freestyle score?
1: Yeah, the the bareback and bridalist is still the record holder for the highest score. And then that was in 2006. And then in 2011, this is cool if you can follow it. So the first mare I did the bridalist with in 2003 was Can Can Lena. Yeah. She looks a lot like because they're dark, but the next mare I did was the 2006 Wizard's Baby Doll. Uh huh. In two thousand eleven I won the Congress bridalists but with a saddle on Cancan Vaquero, Can the son of wow. Cancan Lena. And the score I scored with him is a half a point lower than the wow. score I scored with Roxy in two thousand six. Oh that's so, amazing. Crazy high. And I, and everybody people would be like, Why didn't you ride him bareback and bridalists? And if you watch the spins, I did I used the song from The Titanic. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, and so it's the cool, it's the only choreography I've done where I actually really timed something to the music. Uh-huh. And that was when that music drops down, it drops down to pretty much silence. I drop down to a walk. And when it bursts in, he could spin like a top and he could spin a plus one and a half both directions. Wow. And I cued him to spin. And he's, and he dropped into a plus one and a half and you can see it on the score sheets and he spins like a top. And in my first set of spins, the thought in my mind, I'm in the zone, I'm fully in the zone. And my thought in my mind, I can feel my saddle starting Mm. to shift over his neck. And I thought, oh my gosh, I could come off. And I said, whoa, which also I lost count. And I said, whoa, and I thought if I just spun less than four Jesse is going to really, because he's a judge, he's going to be. And then I went, you don't have time to think about this. Go the other way. Yeah. Spun the other way, finished it, but he could spin like a top. And I had to choose going into that. If I do bareback and bridleless, I have to tell my horse, don't give me your full because right. I can't ride it. Yeah. So my choice was take the saddle off and go in there and show that I can ride this horse without the saddle and without the bridle, but that the horse, but I have to hold the horse back or... I keep the saddle on because then I might stand a chance of staying on. And I show the horse fully what he can fully do, mm-hmm. even though I know people won't view it as strongly because I have the saddle. Totally. But I chose yeah. for him. So that's what I
0: did. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Shortly after, you were inducted into the Cowgirl mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. Yes. Wasn't that, like the following year? Yes. That's amazing.
1: You know, I, it is so cool. And I told you at the beginning that I view... My life as chapters, mm-hmm. and there are times that I flip back through the chapters and have a hard time realizing
0: it's my story. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's been some pretty incredible moments in your life, and and obviously, I think right before that, you had uh, Roxy had passed away, correct? Yes. So oh, that must have been such a bittersweet time.
1: <clears throat> you know what? The whole thing that really made it was my horse Bay. That first yeah. one. She was getting up there. She was like 32 and she'd mm-hmm. been having trouble getting up in the winters and she was in Maine with my mom and my mom kept telling me and I told my mom, we've got this trip to Australia plan. When I come home, I'm flying home it's not fair to either of you. She had severe arthritis in her knees mm-hmm. and and it, she can't make it through another winter. Y- if you can't right. have this stress of like finding her frozen in the snow, yeah. if you leave and you can't get her up without getting friends and we, I'll come home and we'll make that decision and, 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 I'll, and I'll be there when we put her down. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and so I did that in the fall. Wow. And then, and it was... So it was like, it it was, it was so natural because of it, but it was so hard. And then, and then Roxy was pregnant and carrying her first foal. Wow. She had had four foals by embryo transfer. Mm -hmm. She had had four by embryo transfer and she was carrying her first foal because the vet was like, look, you guys aren't using her. I'd done the world equestrian games with her Mm -hmm. while she, we know, while she was, while some other mare was having her foal. And he was like, look, you guys don't have that plan. It's better for her body. To do this very natural process,, mm-hmm. and so she was one month away from foaling, and she was as big as a house, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she apparently laid down in the night as whatever, and must have gotten cast and in getting oh. up she in struggling to get up, she was up when she was found in the morning, and she but she had torn essentially torn both of her stifles to like an eighty and ninety percent tear, oh gosh. But of course, she was just standing there looking painful. But in the next three days, it became like she got to the vet clinic and was standing there. When they hydrated her, her, that's when the first stifle ripped out. And the second the first stifle went, the second one did too. Mm. And they had to hang her in a sling. And the vet was like, look, Greg, who owned her? He said, look, Greg, she's hanging in a sling. If she was not pregnant... We could try to hang her in a sling for months, and we could try to rehab this. But inside of the next few weeks, we're going to have to cut her down out of the sling. We're going to have to take her out of the sling, and we're going to have to deliver this baby C-section due to all the damage that's happened. And this mare is going to be in pain from now until then, and and she's not going to be able to hang in a sling. This is all bad. And so they did the best for her, which was delivered the baby C-section mm-hmm. and euthanized her. Wow. And the baby did live. He was too underdeveloped. He, yeah. he wouldn't breathe. They couldn't get him to breathe on his own. So it was shocking to have wow. that happen. And then I'm processing the shock of that. And within a month, the horse that I had just won the Congress with, Can Can vaquero came in out of the pasture and I was at the grocery store and Jesse called me and he said, I brought the horses in and Vaquero just looks slightly drunk. And I said, never say that about a horse Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because when I went to college and you were learning, the only things that come from that are like EPM neurologic or neurologic like wobbler. I said, never use that phrasing. And he said, okay, well you get home and you see what you think. And I got home and I was like, Oh my gosh. And long story short, um, two trips to Rudin-Riddle later, and an, and an MRI, and, oh, actually that's the wrong name for it, myelogram. Okay. They inject the dye into the spinal yes. column and then they can do an x-ray that's essentially like a contrast reverse x-ray. Mm-hmm. We found out he had a bone spur in his neck that had been growing inward. So instead of it being a pinched nerve thing, it was like he was very bridally looking. Like he would mm-hmm. bridle he looked like he was pretending to be an Arabian. He'd be like yeah. carry himself off. Well, that would also apparently like severed his spinal column. Ugh. And so I ended up making the decision to use... He was was at a grade four and they were like... My my old time vet basically had to make the call. Because at this point, I'm like a puddle on the ground. Like at this point, the vets were giving me all these options. And the old time vet who has now passed away that I used all the time, I got off the phone with him because I was like, Doc, I don't know what to do. And I'm all this stuff. And I got back and he was like... He's like, you do not do anything more. This is it. This is the uh-huh. end. This is this end. He like, the whole phrasing and everything, but he was like, you're done. This is done. I'll, mm-hmm. I'm he- I'm helping you make this call and I'm forever grateful to him. Wow. But That's when I didn't want to go to the barn anymore because I was yeah. like, holy cow, those in, in a matter of months, all three of those horses in that short of time. But um, I won't go fully into it, but um, that's where my minis entered my life. And oh. I adopted... I, I, I didn't adopt. I, I went and bought two minis off Craigslist that were little wild things. And I told my husband, I'm like, these are therapy minis. And my husband was like, you're getting into therapy. And I was like, no, they're my therapy. They make me laugh when I go to the, when I go to the barn. This little ornery mini that stands on yes. her hind legs and threatens to take me down. And she's yep. like looking me in the eyes. I'm like, I need something. I need that. Yeah. I need a little wild mini.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, uh, so that, I mean, I, minis are so like weird and quirky, but they always, <laughs> we have a few at the barn it's like, every, everyone always smiles when they're around. That's right. It's, it's so good. So then after that point, you guys, you hit the road, right? Didn't you guys, I remember Jesse telling me that you guys like sold your house and then you had like an RV and mm-hmm. drove with all your kids. I yeah. mean that must have been with all three kids. I can't homeschooling imagine.
1: all three kids and a horse trailer behind it.
0: Wow. Yep. So what was the plan what was the plan there?
1: You know, it was it was another really super cool moment in life where when we bought our place, we were like, this will be awesome. And we can live here for like five years. And then we can buy the real place that we want to live for the uh-huh. rest of our wherever. And we had no idea what we were saying at the time. And so, you know, we looked up 14 years later and we were like, we hadn't planned on being here. <laughs> and it was the coolest thing. And it was the closest that I can say that of this total walk of faith, because it was like both Jesse and I very clearly had this feeling that we didn't, th- this belief that this isn't where we're meant to be. Okay. And neither one of us knew where we were supposed to be.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: that went for a little while. And we were like, we don't know where we're supposed to be, but we know it's not here. Okay. So in our minds, we were like, so the logical thing to do is to sell. Yeah. But to sell without any idea where you're going is actually not one of the more conventional things to do, (laughs) especially when you have three kids and a barn full of horses and all this stuff. But we took that walk of faith. And I actually, the the motorhome company, when we ended up in the motorhome, we had t-shirts made that say Wandering Westfall Tour. And I said, it was like our wandering in the wilderness phase, where we were yeah. like, you know what, we don't know where we're supposed to be, but it's not here, so we're selling here, and we're going to wander mm-hmm. until we are called to where we're supposed to
0: be. Cool. And you landed in Ohio, right? Is that- Yeah,
1: okay. we landed where we here, where we are here in um, Perrysville, just outside Loudonville, Ohio.
0: Cool. Yeah. So, so, what does life look like for you now? <sighs> <sighs> <laughs>
1: I love my beautiful mixed up life where if I have to describe it like it's it's hard because it swings there's so many different things yeah. so I live in a little cabin on a hill. I podcast out of my closet. Uh, Mm -hmm. I ride only my own horses now, although I say that and I keep telling Greg, which you'll recognize the name. He's the one that owned Roxy. Uh I'm like, Greg, you should stop breeding because I keep buying your horses. Yeah. (laughs) So I now have riding a granddaughter of Roxy. So one of the mares that uh, had been the, Roxy's daughter via embryo transfer. Uh-huh. This is this is out of that mare. And so I've got a granddaughter of Roxy cool. that I'm riding. She's the one that I was a world champion with with in the Western Dressage last year. Yeah. And then I have a daughter of Kancan Can Vaquero, granddaughter of Kancan Can Lena wow. that I ride. And so I ride my own horses. I teach clinics. I do I just released a brand new online training course which blows out of the water any teaching I've ever done before in my life. It's like a multimedia experience because Mm -hmm. I know how to do video. I know how to do audio. I know how to do teaching. I know how to do training. I know the pieces that people are missing and not seeing. I know Uh why they're not seeing them. And I was able to capture all of that. And that's my goal for the year is to create four new online courses that teach in a way that I've never seen done. And people who are seeing it are like, I've never experienced it like this before. So it's super cool.
0: That's so cool that you're able to combine all of those components. And similar in my life, I knew that I had all these different passions and yes, loved riding, but also loved a lot of different avenues and, you know, like media and creativity and Mm -hmm. photography and videography and finding something where I could put all of those pieces together it's so funny how for someone who has been given those gifts you don't really think it's just kind of your second nature and then when other people come to you they're like this is revolutionary and it's like (laughs) this is just normal you know but um yeah it's pretty amazing to see what you have all put together and love your online courses and your podcast and uh, just amazing uh knowledge that you are giving to the rest of the community would you say that there's an area the industry that you're particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the industry either doesn't know a lot about and doesn't talk a lot about? I mean, obviously there's components that people don't know a lot about, hence your educational pieces that you're providing people. But what would you say would be a topic or two that people don't talk enough about? What a great question. When
1: I started doing my podcast, I really wanted to give a lot of thought into how I was going to walk into it and what the goal was. And one of the things that came really clearly to me, and you can very clearly see in the first four seasons, is that I have this four-square model. And so if you literally just picture a plus sign in your mind, and then you look at each one of those corners as a quadrant... So in each quadrant, one is the rider's mind, another the rider's body, horse's mind, horse's body. Mm. So we've got these four quadrants and that is everything you're going to experience in the horse happens inside of this model. And what's interesting when you look at it in that framework is that you can start to see how those interact among each other. Uh So it means that I can have something going on, like I go to load a horse into a trailer. Well, I've got a thought or a belief or an opinion or experience that's creating some kind of thoughts in my mind. When I lead the horse to the trailer, my body has a certain amount of experience of handling the tools or the horse. Mm-hmm. The horse brings its own, you know, mind and body. I read its body a certain way to try to interpret its mind. And it's this interplay between these four quadrants that is the way that I view the world. And it makes it a lot easier for me to speak and understand and break it down for people to try to see where they might be, you know, which area is the weakest, because I'll find Mm -hmm. people who have done a ton of studying, like the physical aspect of the horse, but not the emotional understanding, even inside of the rider's Mind quadrant. You can say, okay, does the rider's mind understand how a lead change happens? Do they Mm -hmm. comprehend how the hip and shoulder relate to each other and how this creates a lead change? But that's almost like a mechanical view from the rider's mind. But there's also an emotional view coming from the rider's mind of like, well, why did the horse react to your leg like that? Uh You know, what was the horse's emotional response? But there's also your emotional response to the thought of using your leg on the horse. Right. And so it's such a fascinating tool. And so it's this dance between the four quadrants, but if I had to pick one that I think is the most underserved, you know, I think on a day-to-day basis I do question how much people do physical training of themselves outside of their horse. Right. Meaning like exercise and and fitness level because you your horse is going to be limited by you if you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And you can put your horse in training and have a trainer do the physical side of it, but you need to be there too. But if I had to pick one quadrant that's actually Not necessarily it. I really think it's the rider's mind. Hmm. I really think it is that awareness of when you go to load the horse in the trailer if you've got a belief that horses are scared of being in small dark places uh-huh. you transfer that onto the horse totally and some of these are more obvious but some of these are so subtle oh, some yeah. of these are so subtle that the further i go and the more i do so when i took up traditional dressage you know a few years ago and really like threw myself in last year and went like and earn my bronze riding my little quarter pony. Mm -hmm. It was like diving into a whole different world. And there's tons of similarities, but what it really isolated and showed me was all the mind games I had. Uh Because it was just like this open field of like, Ooh, wow, you're having some interesting thoughts about riding into that warm up pen cuz yeah. like I'm like I don't know warm up pen etiquette. I don't know uh-huh. how to be in the warm up ring with these horses and I don't know the f- direction of flow of the pattern. I don't and uh-huh. and how like the feeling of wanting to shrink away from that or totally. all these different things or and so I think that all areas need to be addressed which is why I think using all four and then even breaking it down more but the mind quadrant alone contains multiple layers totally
0: yeah and that's like a series of podcasts in and of itself <laughs> it is and it's actually the course that i'm editing
1: right now in my computer is actually on goal setting and problem solving uh-huh and it's essentially it's it's a lot about it doesn't matter if your goal is better horsemanship or whether it is to go compete bridleless at the quarter horse congress it's mm-hmm. like goals are going to bring up the opportunity to work on emotions. And I wish I could say that they were all like able and adequate and capable, but a lot of them are dissatisfied and dismayed and mm-hmm. embarrassed and baffled and processing through those in a, in a healthy way versus in a... I spent years beating myself up with those... I would, I would take something like frustrated and I would use it as a tool against myself, thinking that by beating myself up with it, that I was somehow making myself stronger, mm. not understanding that frustration was pointing at something that I needed to look at. And now I can go have a quote unquote failure And I still feel an emotion like the first time they rang the bell for me, which does not happen in my Western world. But the first time I had an error, of course, that I went off one off pattern is how I say it in my world. But the first time that I went somewhere I wasn't supposed to and they rang the bell, I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And I went and they told me where to go. But I have to admit, when I came out of the class, I felt disappointed. Mm -hmm. But instead of making that disappointment grow into something even more ugly and weird, I was able to be like, And it's okay to be disappointed. Take a deep breath. That was an experience. And you signed up for another class and let's take a deep breath and go on. And so I'm I'm so much more kind to myself now.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: there's so many of these areas. And then ironically, that's what makes the horse side of it work better. Because you know, my little horse that I'm riding, when I'm frustrated about myself, she doesn't understand that it's not frustrated. Right. She just feels frustrated emanating from my body. right? And people forget that that gets like all over your horse and your horse is like, whoa, yeah. frustrated human. This doesn't seem safe. Yeah,
0: totally. So. That is such a good point. I'm so excited to see what you have about that topic because I feel like that's something that goes beyond level and discipline and you know, where you're at in your riding, um, that that can be mm-hmm. helpful to so many people.
1: I'm so excited about it. It's not even up
0: yet. (laughs) (laughs) So cool. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Equestrian Podcast today. I love your story and I, I just wish you all the best. Thanks again for having me. Thank you.